You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Hey, we're continuing our series about time. Everybody say time. Time is a very intriguing concept to me. If anything, time is a reminder to us about how finite we are, how limited we are. I mean, I feel like every aspect of time reminds us about how limited we are as human beings. For example, everything in our lives, it comes to no surprise to us that everything in our lives revolves around time. Calendars, seasons, schedules, years, all reminders of deadlines, obligations, and time. As a matter of fact, jobs are often measured by something called uh, prior experience, which is another way to measure time. The time of the day determines our meals and our work schedules and academic schedules, and everything revolves around time, which is why it is so mind-boggling to us whenever we talk about God and how He stands outside of time. He sees the beginning and the end simultaneously. Think about that long enough and you'll get a migraine. Trust me, I've done it. Time is such an intriguing concept because, as I mentioned, it just reminds us of how limited we are and how limitless He is. If nothing else, COVID has reminded us of how fragile time is. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced during COVID, right? Nobody wants to have their time cut short. Nobody wants to waste time sick. Don't you hate being sick? I mean, where are the husbands in the room? Have you ever had the man cold? You know what I'm talking about. It's a cold, but you feel like you're going to die at any moment. And your wives just kind of look at you and they're like, you know, they pull that card. You know what I'm talking about? I gave birth. You have a cold. You're like, honey, you don't understand. Nobody wants to have their time interrupted with inconveniences. If nothing else, COVID has reminded us of how fragile time is. I want to talk to you about a precious time in our history. A long time ago, our nation was impacted by an incredible movement that actually shaped our nation and doesn't get enough credit for it. Really, the world was impacted by this movement called the Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening, sometimes referred to as the Great Awakening, or the Evangelical Revival was a series of Christian revivals that swept Britain and the 13 North American colonies in the 1730s and 1740s. The revival movement was permanently affected by Protestants as adherents strove to renew individual piety and religious devotion. The Great Awakening marked the emergence of the American Evangelical Church. Building on the foundations of older traditions, major leaders of the revival, such as George Whitefield, John Wesley, and Jonathan Edwards, articulated a theology, a theology of revival and salvation that transcended denominational boundaries. Lord, do it again. That transcended denominational boundaries and helped forge a common evangelical identity. Revivalists provided an emphasis on the authority of God in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
The leaders gave listeners a sense of deep personal conviction of their, excuse me, of their need of salvation by Jesus Christ and fostered an introspective moment on the commitment to a new standard of personal morality. The theology preached during this time that the religious, com- uh, the religious conversion was intellectual, experienced in the heart, and I love this. And the assurance of salvation was experienced through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Evangelical preachers sought to include every person in conversion regardless of gender, race, and status. In December 1733, Jonathan Edwards preached a a sermon that shook this great awakening. The title of the sermon, The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. Studying this sermon by Jonathan Edwards, I have to say, impacted me. Jonathan Edwards challenged listeners to consider the accountability to God that you will have, where you will answer for the stewardship of one of the most precious things offered to us as a human race, time. And think about how you will answer to God in regards to giving an account for what you did with that time in order to carry out what God gave you to carry out. Jonathan Edwards began to preach this sermon. His first point, how much time have you already lost? where he challenged the congregation to reflect on their life and take an account of how much time was devoted towards spiritually in-depth things and how much time was wasted. His second point, consider the value of time. Jonathan Edwards brings out this beautiful illustration during this moment in his sermon where he says this to the congregation. He says, follow me to the deathbed. And stand next to that deathbed with a man who doesn't long for a bigger house, who no longer longs to have accomplishments aside from, what is he asking for? A little bit more time. In this moment in his sermon, Edwards begins to reiterate to the congregation, he says, I want you to consider the value of time. I want you to imagine what it was like standing next to somebody on their deathbed. What are they longing for? They're not longing for prosperity. They're not longing for bigger houses, more financial wealth. What are they longing for? Just a few more minutes left on earth. And then Edwards does something that shocks the crowd and pulls them even deeper into this illustration where he says these words. He says, descend with me now into the bowels of hell. Shrieks and groans of damned souls. What they would give for just a moment of time, the very time that you possess here and now. They would give anything and everything to just have a portion of the time that you have allotted here and now. Edwards closes his sermon by making an appeal to people to use their time to carry out the purpose and plan that God has for them and not to come to the end of their life before God having little to nothing to show God with what they did with their time. Time is fragile. Time is precious. And I believe we underestimate time now more than ever. How do I know that? Because it doesn't take but a few minutes to look around at our culture and see. Time, so fragile. I love Edward's beautiful illustration. 
as he takes it one level deeper each step of the way, consider how much time you have already wasted. Consider the preciousness of time. And consider those who are on the other side of this life into eternity, wishing that they had had just a little bit more time like you have here now in 2020 on this beautiful November morning. So I asked the question, what wastes our time? What wastes you and I, something that is so irreplaceable? You see, in a couple moments, you're going to look back on this moment and you can't do anything about what happened here and now in this moment five minutes from now. Did you follow that? Time. We can't go back and change things. We can't make adjustments. Once a moment has passed, it is gone, it is done. It is now a part of history that we look back on. What are you doing with your time? What wastes your time? What gets your attention? What gets your passion? What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? As you begin to answer these questions, you'll soon find the answer to what wastes your time. I believe this, focusing our time and attention on the past and living in regret wastes our time. The Bible, if anything, has taught us how to have vision for the future, not looking back at the past. Modern psychology would tell us that aside from fear, regret is one of the strongest emotions that we can feel. And friend, I have met some people who are living in regret. How can we tell if somebody's living in regret? You'll often hear them say these statements. If only I could do it again. If only I had listened sooner. If only I could erase the past. If only I could forgive myself. If only I could forgive them. Often behaviors that are associated with people who are living in the past is this. First and foremost, they blame others. This is an old tactic. You've got to follow me on this. For example, Adam and Eve. Adam has this opportunity to come clean to the Lord. And what does he do? He does the husbandly thing and says, she did it. And in that moment, we see Adam, who is ashamed of his past, Rightfully so, and he blames somebody else. If you've met somebody in your life where they never seem to own up responsibility and they're constantly talking about how it was somebody else, have you ever met someone like that? Can I get a witness this morning? Come on, somebody. Individuals where it's like, you know, you work for a company of a few thousand people and all of those people have the issue, pastor. People living in the past tend to have an issue with blaming others. They have a belief, a sincere belief of always being the victim. Once again, I refer to Adam and Eve. No, it, it wasn't me, Lord. I'm the victim of something that she did. You often find people who are struggling with the past. They often display these behaviors. They blame others. They pull the victim card. And I've met too many students whenever I was a youth pastor. It always hurt my heart whenever I met a student who took the victim card and made it their identity. And they were never able to walk in the identity of being a new creation in Christ because they had claimed victimhood as their permanent destination and identity. Often people who are living in the past and struggling with hurts from the past they deal with self-inflicting pain. They try to pay for their guilt unconsciously through depression, uh, setting themselves up for failure and other forms of self-punishment. 
The problem with beating up yourself is this, your conscience doesn't know when to stop. Some people spend their entire lives in self-condemnation. And lastly, the other behavior that you'll most commonly see with individuals who are wasting their time by living in the past is they hurt people. They're angry. Have you ever heard this saying, hurting people? Hurting people hurt people. Why are they hurting people? Because they're hurt. Most often, they're hurting because of something that they had done in their past. So I would say to solve this, if you're here today and you're struggling with living in your past, I would first say this, let Christ speak to your future. Because when Christ speaks to your future, he erases the past. Admit your guilt, don't pull an Adam or an Eve. Admit your guilt, own up to it. But I love this in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Have you ever been in a place where you wanted mercy? Where you knew that you had done wrong and all you wanted was forgiveness because it just felt dirty and disgusting? Anybody have any childhood memories of this? Come on, somebody. I'll never forget whenever I was a kid, my, my dad, he, he always wanted to grow cherry trees in our backyard. It was his thing. And every year, those demonic deer would come out of the woods and they would destroy any tree that he was trying to plant. And so I remember one year he had built these like custom cages around this, this cherry tree so that it could grow big and tall. And, and he had, had withstood the spring and the summer. The, the demonic deer were, you know, in the woods and they hadn't come out and they hadn't been successful in it. And I remember, you know, wintertime comes rolling around. It still has these kind of like custom cage thing around it. And I remember a couple buddies of mine decided to go sled riding on the hill where he planted these trees. Yeah, I had a lot of speed coming off that hill, man. Cherry tree with one swift wham, gone. I mean, roots and all out of the ground. So what did I do? Did I mention that it was snowing? So I grabbed that tree, put it there, packed some snow around it. Wasn't thinking about springtime melting it away. Oh, no, 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 no. When you're a kid, you're just looking for, for as soon as I can have mercy, I'm good. And my guilt-ridden conscience went over. I shoved that in the ground, began to pack snow. And I remember going into the house and just kind of waiting for judgment to come. My dad. And so I remember my dad comes home and I'm, I'm looking outside the window and we had this kind of like uh, uh, a car garage out to the side of our house. I'm looking at him through the window into the garage and I'm looking, I'm seeing him staring down the hill I'm like he couldn't possibly know. I'm nine years old. I'm significantly smarter than him. So my dad goes down, and I remember, I'll never forget the, the, the pathetic, I mean, it was, my dad walks over to this tree, and he doesn't even use his whole hand. He goes like this, and he just, boom. I'm like, he knows. My dad and I had a talk that night, and all I wanted was mercy. Have you ever been put in a place where all you want is Mercy. 
And I remember how beautiful it felt whenever I said, and it was, he wasn't surprised at all when I said, yeah, it was me. <laughs> but it felt so good to bring that lie into the light. And I'll never forget the overwhelming sense of, he knows and he's not going to take my life today. Admit your guilt. Accept Christ's forgiveness. The reality is, is that he's waiting to clean your slate. Ask him to clear your conscience. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Can I hear an amen this morning? I am so thankful that my past doesn't define my future. How else do we waste time? What other things do we do in our life? Because life is so short to live in regret. Come on, somebody. Time is too precious to worry about the chances that you missed rather than the chances that he's provided. So how do we waste time? How else do we waste this precious time that Jonathan Edwards does such an incredible time, or excuse me, an incredible uh, sermon discussing the preciousness, the value of time? What causes us to waste it? Well, I believe we waste time when we underappreciate and devalue time, when we simply underappreciate it. When you use time that God is giving you to do foolish, sinful, or things that don't add to your spiritual wealth in life, when we do those things, we're wasting time. An example of this is, I remember, you know, I grew up, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh. And I remember, it, it, and Pittsburgh is a very blue-collar city. If you've ever been there, it is very blue-collar. As a matter of fact, most of my family members that still live there, I mean, electricians, and you know, the, it is a union-run city. Most of my family is a part of some kind of working union. It's very blue-collar. And I remember growing up there, it, it, it always surprised me how these grown men would dedicate all of their time and the vision for their life. They would focus on Friday night. That was the value of life was Friday night revolved around having a beverage. And I, never under, I could never understand this. As a matter of fact, one of the things, I, don't, I haven't found this in our culture out here, but, but when we lived in Pittsburgh, there's this kind of thing that happens. Um, I don't know if garage parties are a thing out here, but it's literally where just people get together and they sit in a garage and they drink and that's it. And I never understood it. And I still don't. Their entire week is all of the blood, sweat, and tears of the work week is going into a few hours on a Friday night. I would say that that's a prime example of underappreciating, devaluing the time that God has given you. When your entire week and your finances are consumed with this Friday night or this Saturday night, 
And I remember growing up and different kids that I was friends with. I mean, I remember we were sitting at this one local restaurant and on the right side of the restaurant, it was, it was kind of the grill area, family friendly. And on the left side, it was the bar side. And I remember seeing all of these local business owners on the left side and they're all together. And, and I remember friends of mine just going, oh, I can't, I can't wait till I can be a part of that. And I'm like, what? You can work all week to sit there? My point is, is I think there's different things that we consume our lives. And friends, please understand, I'm not saying that getting together with friends and having company, that that's a waste of time. That's not what I'm saying. But when I'm saying our entire lives and our paychecks and our vision is consumed by a single event that adds nothing of biblical growth. Is this making sense this morning? I believe it's wasting time. It's taking this precious moment that God has given you that so many people wish that they could have a little more of and tossing it out the window. We waste time. Or excuse me, let me back up to this biblical, this, this Bible verse that adds, us, adds some perspective. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because, and I love the way that he says this, because the days are evil. Have you ever felt that way? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Why does he say that? He says, don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Why? Because when you understand what God's will is, you won't be foolish and live foolishly is the assumption. We waste time when we don't have godly vision to use our time. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says this, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the people perish. You see, it's so vital to have godly vision for your life because vision determines future. Can I hear an amen? It's the bridge between dreams and reality, God's vision for your life. Vision gives us purpose, it gives us direction, it gives us goals, it gives us measurable growth points in Christ. Vision. I'll never forget when I was, when I was a, a young, newer in Christ, I remember going to these these different youth services, and I remember going to the altar, and it seemed like every time I went to the altar and I asked God to give me vision... He would. And I remember this, it started the trend of my spiritual growth. And please understand, I'm not saying that I have arrived this morning. I have a lot of work to do. Can I hear an amen this morning? Is there anybody else here who has some work to do? But I remember what started my spiritual growth was this moment where I went to the altar and I asked God, you know, would you give me vision for my life? And I started getting these mental images of a, of a more mature me acting in ways that I did not act like at the time. When I was a teenager, I really struggled with anger and anxiety. And I would get these mental images that I believe were Holy Spirit inspired because I couldn't produce these images on my own. And it would be an image of me being patient and kind. And I remember the Holy Spirit just kind of speaking to my heart and saying, that's who I want you to be. Dads, please listen up here today. 
statistically, you have the most influence in the household. We can't argue against that. It's just the nature of the family unit. I want to ask you, who is God calling you to be? Because who God is calling you to be is where your kids are going to follow. Do you have godly vision for your life? Do you know the man that God is calling you to be? Ladies, same thing. The reality is, is that you and I are never going to arrive. Can I hear an amen? amen? I thank God that I'm never going to come to a place where I say, okay, Lord, <laughs> here I am. Perfect and complete. That's when the Lord taps you on the shoulder and goes, let me talk to you about humility. You and I are never going to come to that place, but the point in me saying that is that God always has vision for your life. It's not a matter of if he has vision, it's what is the vision that God has for your life? Because the reality is if you're here today and you say, pastor, I don't know what God's vision is for my life, then I would guarantee that over the past couple years that you've probably been wasting time. Because without vision, the people perish. Why? Because without God's vision for your life, you're just running in circles. So I want to ask you the question as the worship team makes their way forward this morning. It's the same question that Jonathan Edwards asked his congregation in the 1740s. How do we redeem time? We've talked about what wastes our time, what has the potential to waste our time. Just a few characteristics of wasting time. But I want to ask you, if you can waste time, then that means that you can redeem time. So how do you redeem time? We can't go into the past, and yet there's something called redeeming time lost. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You understanding what God's will is for your life is a way of redeeming time. Because when you are set on the path that he has for you, it leads to redemption. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you're asking this morning, I wonder what the Lord's will is for my life. Here's some scripture verses that tell us. Do not be conformed to this world, but here it is, friends. Be transformed. By the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says this, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. John chapter 3, verse 20, and please notice the scriptural reference, John chapter 3, verse 20, because many of us are familiar with John 3, 16. And just a few verses after John 3, 16, which talks about our Savior coming to the world, says this, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. God's will for your life is holiness, transformation, change. Transformation is not a destination that we arrive at, but is a process in which we engage with the Holy Spirit's help. And I've been asked too many times, 
today's world, so many people come to me with questions where they say, Pastor, if I just say the prayer and don't live accordingly, am I saved? And my honest answer, I don't know. I don't know how far God's grace goes. I don't know at what point you can walk away from the Lord, but I know there is a point. There is a point where you can walk away from the salvation that you once received. In Scripture, if I'm looking at Scripture, Scripture tells me that a relationship with Jesus is more than a get-out-of-hell-jail-free card. You and I are called to grow in Him. That means transformation. That means holiness. And the Bible is ever so clear. If you're not walking in the will of the Lord, then you're not walking in his ways and in a relationship. And therefore, you probably don't have a relationship with him. How do we redeem time? My short answer, come under the authority of Scripture. Come under the authority of Scripture. The very meaning of the word Christian means follower of Christ, that you are following and that you are abiding in. The Greek word means follower of Christ for Christian. Christianos comes from Christos, meaning anointed one, with the adjective ending borrowed from the Latin to denote this meaning, adhering to or belonging to or even in some translation, slave ownership. And he owns me. I follow him. I listen to him because I'm under his authority. He tells me what is right and wrong. He tells me about holiness. I don't create some kind of lower perspective of what holiness is. Church, we have gone so far away from the importance of holiness in our world where I look at the Church of America and I don't know who's of the world and who's saved. I don't know who's walking in the way of the Lord. Let me put it this way. I know who's, walk, who's not walking in the way of the Lord. That's clear. But this year, one of the things that has been so hard for me, especially during the election year, is that the Bible gives us this moral standard that you and I could never live up to on our own, by the way. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, amen? But I'm overwhelmed, my heart is overwhelmed by the amount of Christians who think that they are Christian because they said a prayer when they were however many years old as a way of getting out of hell and never went beyond that. And by that definition, friend, I know that I'm gonna get an email or two about this, but I'm gonna say it anyways. If that's been your experience, you are not a Christian. You're not. The very meaning of word is that you are abiding in, that you are following in, that you are a part of him, that the anointed one has claimed you as his own and you therefore are yielding to the authority in which you claim he is supreme, Lord, I am not. And it's a conversation that we have to have. Because once again, I know that Paul said, hold on to your life and doctrine for they determine the course of the life. And he even says your salvation, your eternity. 
God's will for us is to look back over the course of our time and our lives and be able to see the transforming power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the goal is that you and I look throughout the course of our life and we see all of these moments where you say, man, I can't believe that I used to think like that. I can't believe I used to talk like that. I can't believe I used to act like that. And we look at all of these moments in our history and we say, but God has changed me in the way that I act, in the way that I talk, in the way that I prioritize, in the way that I have vision for my life. He's changed it all. That's transformation. That's his will for your life. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what he desires in your life. And I think what's holding us back in the church of America, I've heard too many churches pray for revival, but they're not willing to be the revival. Because revival requires holiness. Revival requires desperation. It requires time. And we're not willing to put the time into that. Pastor, I don't have 15 minutes to pray. Are you kidding me? But we pray for revival till we're blue in the face, right? But when it comes to, do we really have the priorities right in our hearts where we say, God, I'm ready to invest the time into your purpose. How do we redeem time? We come under the authority of scripture. Redeem, the very meaning of redeem means to come under the word of God, to come under his word, to not only experience transformation, but experience ever-increasing joy of growing closer to the Savior. You see, that's the beautiful thing is often we look at holiness. I'm not sure when this happened, but we look at holiness as if it's not any fun. We look at holiness as just kind of this big burden where you're like, I can't live up to that. No one could. Welcome to church. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we need his grace. Not so that we can have grace as a way of pulling out this kind of license that says, look, I have grace so I can neglect holiness. Grace is for whenever you and I stumble in our attempt to live holy. Come on, somebody. How do we redeem time? We come under the authority of scripture, which tells us how to live. And in return, friend, it's not a burden that you and I, I just, I'll never forget hearing testimony and I, and every testimony depressed me. When I was a kid, I heard this testimony. Every testimony started out with, I used to be the life of the party. It was awesome. It was great. Then I got saved. Glory to God. But what's so beautiful about this is you and I receive a joy in increase in the quality of life as you and I live for a Savior. We experience the joy of belonging to Him. We experience the joy of growing close to our Savior. The joy of not carrying the burden of the world's mentality. Can I hear an amen this morning? Higher levels of worship and joy and prayer and encounter. You see, that's the beautiful thing is you and I kind of receive this plan, this download, if you will, a vision for our lives. When God begins to speak to our hearts and he says, I want you to grow in this area, you and I receive this big task, absolutely. But I'm telling you, it's just the way that he works where you have stronger encounters with him. And it gives you this kind of encouraged, this kind of puffed up chest where you're like, this is awesome. I don't want to stop this time with him. 
ever-increasing joy of knowing him. And can I tell you, the world cannot compete with it. It's not that the church and your time with the Lord can't compete. It's the other way around. The world cannot compete with it. The world cannot compete with what it's like to grow closer to him. The world cannot compete what it's like to stand in his presence, to know that the God who created everything that you see here on earth and beyond is standing next to you. There's nothing that compares to it. Nothing. A life lived under God's word is pleasing to him. And there's a joy that you and I experience in that alone. Friends, he's the God who takes shepherds and makes them kings. He's the God who takes men who once persecuted the church and makes them the world's greatest evangelists. The Bible is a story of transformation. It's the story like these, where God takes the least of these and transforms them. And he wants to do the same in your life. But you and I have to be willing to come under his authority. If you want to experience greater joy, come under his authority. If you want to experience vision for your life, you have to be willing to lay down your own vision for your life and say, you know what? If anybody gets to tell me how to live, it's God. You want to experience greater levels of peace, greater levels of intimacy in your prayer life, you have to come under that authority. Would you stand with me this morning? Edwards closes his sermon by making an appeal to people to use their time to carry out the purpose and the plan that God has for them. This morning, I would like to do the same. Friend, are you willing to carry out the plan and purpose that he has for your life? And please be real with me this morning. You know, so oftentimes when we get in a church context, we're like, yeah, Lord, yes, Lord, send me. Here I am. Awesome. But we don't acknowledge the struggle. It's a struggle to live up to his standard, but thank God he enables us to do so. He gives us the Holy Spirit for moments like that. Friend, God wants to bring about transformation in the church of America, and it starts with conversations like this. Are you willing to come under his authority? Are you willing to truly mean, not my way, but your way, Lord Jesus? Are you truly willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done? Are you willing to say, Lord, transform the way that I act, the way that I speak, the way that I think? Because friend, I can tell you it's a struggle, but it's worth it. When you get to look back on moments throughout your entire life, where you look back and you see the moment of salvation and all of the transformation that it brings back, I'm telling you, Kylie and I, some of our most hysterical laughing conversations is when we're recalling when we were dating in high school and all the stupid things that we used to do, but thank God he brought transformation in our lives. And we look back and we run into people now and we say, you, you know, they look at us and they say, I, I don't recognize this version of you. And it's this beautiful moment where we get to say, let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. I've known too many people in the course of my life as a pastor's son where I saw people that, you know, the town looked at and said, there's no hope for that man. And next thing you know, that man comes to know Jesus and years later, he's serving on the board of the church. True story, his name's Bill. 
I've seen God do it too many times for me to stand here and say it's impossible for that one. God wants to bring about transformation in your life. The the prerequisite, Lord, I'm willing to lay down my own way and walk in your way. I'm willing to come under the authority of your scripture. Would you bow your heads with me? If that's you here this morning, we often make it a habit of doing this. Without anybody looking around, if you're here today, and you say, Pastor, my heart aligns with this. I'm ready to make the most of this precious gift that God has given us called time. I'm ready to come under his authority. If that's you here this morning, without anybody looking around, one of the things that we do is we lift our hands in the air because it, it's an outward expression of an inward experience. And inwardly, we're surrendering. Outwardly, we're just exemplifying that surrender. So if that's you here today, You say, Pastor, I'm ready to just surrender my time, my life over, all over again to Jesus. Would you just lift your hands in the air right here, right now, without anybody looking around? And I just want to encourage you, just begin to ask him, Lord, would you help me surrender the areas of my life that are really difficult to surrender over to you? In your own words, would you just begin to express that surrender to him? For some of you, you may have served the Lord pretty much all your life, and that's incredible. But today, it's a new day, and and God's ready to just take this church to another level. But it begins with surrender. It begins with stopping and saying, Lord, here I am. Your way, not mine. I surrender my time over to you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.